Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th Tea Podcast. Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy, back with you. Drudy, I'm back in the dungeon. Uh, you'll see <laughs> and you'll notice for those watching on the YouTubes, I've done a little bit of work uh, in the last fortnight of decorating, and that is uh, I've just popped over my right shoulder, left of your screen, uh, my kit, because you have our great friends at Cobra Puma Australia. So still a fair bit to come, I think, in terms of decorating the back wall, but... The podcasting studio slash shed is in full force at the new abode. Uh, look, we're at the beginning of, I think, comfortably the best week on the biennial golfing calendar, not to be confused with the biannual golfing calendar because it doesn't happen twice a year. In fact, it happens once every two years, the biennial golfing calendar. I speak, of course, of Ryder Cup week. Uh, we will get to the Ryder Cup briefly uh, now and then again at the back end of the episode, but just... Your thoughts and feelings, because I know, like me, uh, this is right up there, if not uh, the best thing in golf for you as well. It's very exciting. First and foremost, uh, welcome back. It has been a little bit of time between drinks in the last couple of months. I think we've only put out a couple of episodes where we've actually been together and we've had some time off. So it is nice to be back. Of course, Ryder Cup this weekend, Solheim last week, Aussie Tour officially back as of next week. So exciting time, first and foremost. Uh, it's very, very cool. I'm excited that this is where we are in the calendar of golf. I mean, it's been one that we've looked forward to for such a long time now. It seems um, like an eternity ago, the last Ryder Cup. And and I think if the Solheim Cup was any indication of what we've got in store, um, then then it's going to be a really, really exciting few days in Italy. Um, the content starting to pump out on the on the Instagram from on the on the ground over there. So no, it's a very exciting time, Marshy. Looking forward to it. The weather's going to be great over there, and I'm uh, I'm certainly excited to see the uh, the Ryder Cup. Apologies for the audio issues as well. If anyone can tell the difference, Marshy has a professional microphone. I have a uh, I have the uh, the MacBook Pro microphone that has uh, a fifteen dollar dock connection from Kmart. Uh, pay to play, Kmart. Um, but your docs suck, and my microphone won't connect. So, thanks so much, team at Kmart. Welcome your thoughts and feedback, uh, Kmart Australia. Uh, you do mention uh, what a week we're in too to be bookended by two great team events. Uh, so we will get to uh, a, a comprehensive look at the Ryder Cup at Marco Simone Golf Club there in Rome shortly, but we must look back and reflect on uh, what was an enthralling Solheim Cup over the yeah. weekend. Of course, uh, similar to our, if it's in this year's Ashes, it ended in a retention as opposed <laughs> to a clean victory. So 14 points apiece for the European women and the American women means that as the holders of the Solheim Cup, Europe retained. Uh, but, Drew, it certainly didn't look that way off the back of the first morning, uh, the Americans, unbelievably, for the first time in their history, uh, went 4-0 and in the mm. first session of foursomes, a format they are traditionally poor at. Uh, and away from home, of course, the event in Spain, they raced out of the blocks. 
Uh, and it was only probably a handful of outstanding performances by people and women on that European team who are carving out a reputation in these team events. So I speak of people like Leona Maguire, who only bolstered what is an exceedingly high reputation in team golf. Carlotta Seganda, playing at home as a Spanish woman in front of a home crowd, was exceptional. And then probably really headlined by the Swede, Caroline Headwell, on the final day, having sat the entire competition to come out in singles, be three down with six to play, and birdie everything home uh, to get over the top of Ali Ewing, I believe. It was a phenomenal European performance. People might say it's hyperbolic and we might be overstretching because they weren't clear victors, but from where they were on Friday morning to be 4-0 down, to drag it back to 8 apiece at the beginning of Sunday singles, and then to stare down the barrel because it wasn't looking good. I think at one stage the Americans might have got out to an 11-9 to or 11-8 to lead in the singles. Uh, to draw it back, really headlined by Carolyn Headball there at the end, was a quintessentially European performance in team golf. Yeah, well, I, you're spot on. And I, th- I think your comp at the top about the Ashes is, is spot on because I was going to say the same thing. Like the Americans are losing their shit over a retention. I mean, wait till they find out about how we retain the Ashes this year <laughs> and we're all doing rain dances here in Australia. I mean, wait until mm. they understand how the Ashes works. But no, I think I think your analysis is is spot on, Marshy. And um, you know, Carlotta Saganda to 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 go four O and O is is exceptional. And again, people like Lynn Grant, who probably has got a little bit lost in in all of the hype of uh, you know, someone like Carolyn Headwall, as you said, rightly getting a lot of attention and and Leona McGuire going through uh, beautifully as well. I mean, Lynn Grant went three two and zero, so she she uh, delivered a really good performance. She claimed three points alongside Leona Maguire. So, yeah, I, I mean, even after on the second day after the morning foursomes, the the US were up seven five, as you rightly pointed out, and and to make up two points in that next session or, or win three points and make up the two hole difference in that next session really set things alight and and made Sunday what it was really. So that that afternoon four ball uh, by the Europeans um, in which they won three of the four matches uh, was was really the thing that that lit the uh, lit the candle under them and and got them um, ultimately back in the contest because for a while there, you know, it didn't look great. You're right, it, it definitely didn't look great and Neona Maguire and Charlie Hull go out and and beat Quarter and, and Ewing in, in resounding fashion in the afternoon four ball and, and that kind of sets things alight. Um, you know, Anna Nordquist and, and Headwall, unfortunately, they lose their afternoon four ball. But, you know, the, the rest of them have played solid golf and all of a sudden it's eight all going into Sunday. And, you know, as they say in the business, Marshy, you, you couldn't script it. Uh, going into to the third and final day of singles, and uh, what a what a third and final day it was. It was certainly ebbs and flows. I, I think it would be fair to say as well, Druids, because there were some players, and I, I know you mentioned uh, Charlie Hull went out and won a uh, won a point there with Leona Maguire earlier in the weekend. But on balance, uh, you know herself, Celine Boudier, who's been in outstanding form coming in, uh, they were quite disappointing. Yeah. across you know, the entire weekend. And and they were two people probably on the run-in where you would have thought uh, they'd be an absolute barometer for the European team. So I think you look at, I suppose, players standing out 
and and having those victories that you don't necessarily expect. I mean, Headwell is the headline there, as I said, to be three down with six to play and end up beating Ali Ewing two up um, is actually outrageous. But for, but for me, it's kind of, it's probably those last two as well because uh, Headwell ensured that the European campaign had life into those last few games without a undoubtedly it's over, but you look at Maya Stark, mm-hmm. who ends up winning two two and one over Alison Corpus, who's won a women's major this year. Like she's a major winner this year. Corpus doesn't get much better. And then Saganda, uh, to your point, four and zero, but stared down Nelly Quarter, who uh, it's the best golf I've seen Nelly Quarter play in a long time uh, across the course of probably the weekend, mm-hmm. particularly in patches without necessarily being overly consistent. But that singles game, she was a real nuisance for Carlotta Seganda. And, mm. and nothing, uh, Carlotta Seganda is a Spanish woman playing in Spain in front of a Spanish crowd. Mm. Like uh, Nelly Quarter was pushing shit uphill, to be honest, from the first <laughs> tee. And, mm. and she pushed it all the way. You know, it, it wasn't until Seganda, you know, put her tee shot on the par 317th to, you know, stuffed it to two foot that you thought, okay, she's probably shut the door here. But it was a, it was a contest that went literally the entire way. Obviously, Lexi Thompson ends up winning that finals singles matchup over um, Emily Pedersen to level it at 14 apiece. But to your point in terms of scripting, you can't ask for much more than for a, a team competition to come down to those last handful of singles games like we saw mm. on a Sunday afternoon in this year's Solheim Cup. It was, it was brilliant theatre. I just want to pick up on a point you mentioned before about the, the four balls and the foursome. So obviously – as you rightly mentioned, the the uh, foursomes are traditionally not the US's best uh, best part of their game. You mentioned they went out four four and zero, oh and and rightly so. The four ball was fascinating to me because they mm. won. They actually won one match in the four balls across the two across the two days, and that came on the Saturday uh, when Knight and Yin beat. Nordkust and Headwall. That's the only match they actually won. The rest of them, mm. Europe either won or halved. So on the first day, uh, uh, Zhang and Kang and uh, Kupcho and Korpuz, they managed to get a half a point. Um, but that was just fascinating to me because it's it's not necessarily there, you know, it's not necessarily a, something that we're used to seeing. We're used to seeing that being a little bit more uh, close than what it was. And and that was just a domination by the, the, uh, the European team. Um, so I thought that was worth just just calling out as well. Were there any other sort of standout performances that you thought from from any players? I mean, maybe obviously we've spoken about Headwall and and Saganda going four zero and over. Were there any any players on the US team that you thought were maybe highlights or maybe players that delivered not as not as what you were expecting? Look, I'm I'm reticent to go too hard here because and. Um, We'll talk a lot about it, I think, when we turn our attention to the Ryder Cup. But it was further reinforcement for me that match play is an entirely different animal mm-hmm. and one that there's there's literally no marker to draw a comparison to outside of these tournaments. So mm-hmm. when I look at someone like a Ro Zhang who's burst out of college with arguably the greatest um college golf career, male or female, we've ever seen. 
uh, wins her first tournament as a as a professional. Also, one I wanted to call out, uh, Celine Boudier as well uh, went mm. without without uh, scoring a point, um, which was interesting because she's arguably one of the the best ten players on the ladies' tour at the minute. Um, so yeah, further further recognition that match play is definitely not the same as stroke play. Uh, and the only other one, Dreads, that I probably will call out for an American side is is Lexi Thompson, uh, and, and this is a player who irrespective of whether it's in team golf for the US, herself as Lexi Thompson, in, in in particularly in majors, a player that comes under immense scrutiny in the women's game, uh, is a bit of a lightning rod, polarises opinions. I don't think she helped to cause much at all um, at a press conference over the weekend where she was asked a pretty standard question after, after completely duffing a, a critical chip. I think it was on 15 and and was asked about that in in the post round press room. Didn't handle it overly well. Stacey Lewis as a team captain handled it even more poorly than the player did. But to her credit, put that to one side. Thompson like played her absolute ass off this weekend, uh, and and she has nothing uh, I think to take away other than pride at the way in which she represented the US um, to the point that you know she prevented. Uh, all the way to the very end, uh, a, a clean victory for mm. the Europeans. So I thought Lexi Thompson on the course, uh, in an environment where there would have been a lot of pressure because I can guarantee you had she, you know, got one point or half a point or no points, uh, she would have been right at the top of the list to take mm. the criticism as she mm. often is. So yeah. to her credit, in that, in that cauldron-like environment, she certainly produced. Yeah, I thought that... I thought the press conference was pretty poor, to be honest. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I think in what was a critical moment, um, if it had just been like on the first hole or something, like you know, I could maybe understand it. But given that it was um, coming down the stretch, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty poorly answered. And if that's the area that we're going to delve into with athletes, just going saying. She said, "I don't. I don't need to answer that question. Like, wh- yeah. what? Are, what are we doing here? <laughs> What's the point? What are we doing here? So, yeah, I thought it was pretty average, exactly. anyway. But anyway, that's Lexi Lightning Rod, as you said. That'll do us for the Solheim Cup, Druids. We'll turn our attention to Marco Simone, uh, the golf club just outside of Rome, where really the eyes of the golfing world will turn." From this point forward, we have our first uh, practice rounds happening as we're recording here Tuesday night Australian time for the Ryder Cup. Uh, just probably your first thoughts on, I don't know if you've seen much of the course, but I, I spent a bit of time last night, um, Golf Digest are doing a wonderful job now, mm. uh, particularly around majors, but obviously they've extended this to the Ryder Cup of these flyover videos they do. It takes about 15 minutes, fly you over each of the holes. I highly recommend for anyone who just wants to come in with a tiny bit of context, because uh, it's well worth your time. But for mine, the, the thing that stood out, the piece of land, I mean, it's kind of the centrepiece of the Marcus Simone Golf Club is a is a castle uh, that is said to be from roughly the year 1000. So that kind of gives you the context of where we are. You know, we're just north of Rome, views into back into Rome from parts of the course uh, in, in a place that, is far far older than this 
18 hole golf course that finds itself there now. But mm. stunning, stunning imagery of where we're going first and foremost. And by the looks of it, it's going to hold a capacity crowd. I think, yeah, I agree. I think it's a really interesting course. And I, I'm fascinated still to see. I mean, we've probably got a really good sneak peek of it anyway, in terms of how the Europeans actually set it up, right? We're probably, we probably, we know essentially what they're going to do. But I think I'm still fascinated to see what it looks like come that first tee shot. Um, you're right. The piece of land is very interesting in and of itself. I think there's going to be an influx of drone footage this week, Marshy. I reckon there's going to be uh, drone footage galore of backdrops of castles and vineyards and looking over, looking over Rome itself and probably upteen shots of all that Rome has to offer in terms of the Colosseum and all of the extra stuff they'll probably pump into it. But yeah, I think there's going to be stretches of the the, the course that'll be um, that'll be challenging for players. I think it's a really good match play course. I've managed. I've watched a little bit online about you know people playing different matches there. I think there are there are going to be stretches that are going to determine matches as there there generally is at these courses that they go to. Um, obviously, it's hosted the Italian Open plenty of times, so it's it's. It's not a course that we don't we don't see on the rotor, for example. We we see it regularly, um, and I think that's gonna that's good for us as fans because we kind of know what we're getting. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's a really interesting course because it's it, it's I don't know. Italy's not this massive golfing country in my in my head. Maybe it is. I don't know. Could could be totally wrong. But so I think it's really interesting that we've gone for the Ryder Cup there, um, given you know where we are going. In the next few years, I think Adair Manor's the, the next European host, obviously in Ireland, and that's going to be that's going to be massive. So I think it's um, it, it's a really interesting market that they've taken it to, and and they've obviously taken it to the best course that they have in Italy. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the individual uh, matches be determined by some particular holes. Anyway, just a little bit on the course briefly before uh, we move on. So first built in the early '90s, redeveloped in 2018 with the specific intention of hosting a Ryder Cup. So bear that in mind when you're watching it, that this course was entirely redone five years ago with this competition in mind that we're going to see across the next four to five days. Uh, Almost as if to underline that point, the sixth hole, I believe I've got this correct, the sixth hole is the only hole that remains in its original place and original orientation from the 2018 redevelopment. So 17 other holes have either changed their location or direction or both in that redevelopment from 2018. So it has been entirely designed and entirely built to host a tournament like the Ryder Cup. Mm -hmm. So just have that in the back of your mind as you're watching this weekend. Um, A couple of other things to bear in mind before you, dive a bit deeper into the individuals and potential pairings and ask a couple of questions here, Drew. So uh, the Americans have not won a European Ryder Cup, so a Ryder Cup on European soil since 1993. Yep. Europe have won four of the past six competitions. However, and I stumbled across this stat today, which I thought uh, was incredible, really, uh, courtesy of Jamie Kennedy. That's Jamie R. Kennedy uh, on Twitter. Uh, does a fair bit of work in the digital space with Golf Digest. So the Ryder Cup became what we know as the modern-day Ryder Cup between USA and Europe in 1979. In the time since, so 44 years, 
of competition, there have been a total of 588 matches in the Ryder Cup. The current aggregate score is Europe 292, sorry, 295 and a half to the USA's 292 and a half. So there's three points in it of more than 500, almost 590 matches over 44 years of competition. There currently sits three points the difference aggregately. So take it with a grain of salt about, I haven't won on European soil since 1993. They've probably got the best team they've had since 1993 going in the US to play on European soil. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt, the Europeans won four of the last six because this shapes with that last stat in mind as another incredibly close Ryder Cup. It does. And and it's funny because I think back to this time before Whistling Straits and we were saying a very similar thing, right? This is going to be close. This is going to be great. And then it was one of the great blowouts. Um, but I think this time it is genuinely going to be closer. And I, I think the fact that it's in Europe helps. If this was on US soil, I'd be thinking that, that the Europeans are in trouble. Um, but it does. It, it's, it, it's a... It's probably the most talked about Ryder Cup that I can remember in the last handful that have gone around, just with all the narratives in terms of players who have been picked. You know, JT came in. You know, you've got guys like Ludwig Aberg who who are in, obviously, the live guys are kind of on the outer, particularly on the European side of things. There's so many different little storylines that will go along the way. And, and I was kind of thinking about the whole live piece where, you know, guys like Poulter and Westwood, they weren't eligible. And Sergio Garcia, you know, allegedly coming to the party at the 11th hour and wanting to pay his fine to be able to play the the, the Ryder Cup and things like that. Uh, maybe this is is a bit of a blessing in disguise for the for the European team that that they've had to be, or it's forced their hand to pick some of these guys like Abergs, maybe like your Nikolai Horgards or your Sepp Strakers, who who maybe wouldn't have been there otherwise, and maybe this is actually going to force them into, you know, some some longevity. Maybe maybe it is a blessing in disguise. I'm not too sure what your your takeaways on that, but um, yeah, I think on paper it looks really unbalanced. I personally think it does look really unbalanced to the US, but I think the fact that it's in Europe, I think that brings. You, the, the European team right back into the equation. If it was in the US, I'd be very worried. I don't know what your takeaways are there. No, I tend to agree. Uh, certainly, I think traditionally speaking, and you could probably look across probably those last six Ryder Cups of which Europe have won four, that the Americans always tend to look the best on paper. And increasingly, it's about, and we spoke about Caroline Hedwell having a quintessentially European team performance in the Solheim Cup. Increasingly, it's become about those, without trying to sound disrespectful, bottom four players. Yeah. Because the top eight of a European side are always red hot, but it's those bottom four players. And can the captain and the assistant captains and the system around the European team draw the best out of them when it matters? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's kind of been about. And and you look back, I mean, obviously, it was a, it was a really tough... Um, really tough Ryder Cup for Podrick Harrington. But traditionally, someone like a Paul McGinley did it, you know, and, and did it so well. Um, and that's been, I think, the cornerstone of European victories because 
they've been increasingly data driven, but more often than not, it will come down to who can be the player. And there's a lot of question marks over guys in that European team, no doubt. And and, mm-hmm. and you say someone like a um, Nicolo Hoygaard has probably been picked for two years' time when he's, you know, his brother Rasmus yeah. will probably join him on the team as well. And it's a, you know, this is a guy who's probably going to play five Ryder Cups. So let's get him started on home soil mm-hmm. rather than throw him to the Wolves over in America. But I think that's what it's going to be about, Trez, because it tends to always be about that. It's mm-hmm. about can those four or five guys on the European team produce their very best golf when the Bunsen burner gets turned up, particularly in singles. Like it's a different beast when you've got your partner there and there's a lot of good players on that European side that, you know, um, Luke Donald has at his disposal to to strategically partner with people. Mm-hmm. But when you get out into the cauldron of a singles game and you're staring down your US opponent, you know, what's Nikolai Hoygaard got in him and, and yeah. what's Sepp Straka got in him and, and I'm particularly excited to see what Ludwig Aberg's got in because I think yep. there's, a, there's a lot of excitement there. But look, undoubtedly, I think the US is stronger on paper. Um, one thing I did note of, of of interest today: so eight of the twelve members of the US team have never played a Ryder Cup on European soil. So you're talking about guys like Scotty Scheffler, mm-hmm. Patrick Cantlay, like these are guys. You know, Colin Morikawa is a two-time major champion. He's, he's won a British Open, but he's never played a Ryder Cup. Mm. And, you, you know, Colin's, Colin's memories of of the incredibly polite crowds at the Open Championship <laughs> who embraced him with warm, open arms as the champion golfer of the year. Mm. That's not what he's going to get on the first tee mm-hmm. at Marco Simone. It will be feral. And, and I just think that that's a factor that plays undoubtedly. I mean, the, the crowd's going to play into the Europeans' favour anyway, but the fact that two-thirds of the American team have never been exposed to that environment, I think is going a little under the radar at present. That's very fair. I think that that is a good point, and maybe that's one of the reasons that they picked JT in, in amongst all of this is for a little bit of experience, and, and maybe that that's something that's been overlooked that, that you've just um, brought to my thinking there. Um where do you want to start? I've got to, I've, I was going to throw to you. Do you want to just give me a score prediction straight up and then we can discuss why we've gone that way? Early days. Do you have a score prediction off the top of your head that you've got kind of floating around? It doesn't have to be bang on the number. You can give me a, a range if you like. So obviously 28 points up for grabs. Yeah. So I, I do think the Europeans will win. Mm-hmm. I truly do. Okay. However, however, like I'd be blow out either way. I can't see the Americans blowing it out either. But if the Europeans are going to get across the line, which I do believe, I think it's kind of in that 15-13 range. So 15-13. I like that. That's me. That's me. What about you? I'm I'm pretty close. I had 16-12 written down. So okay. to to I I don't know. I've went back and forth on this a long way because I could see both ways. I could see Europe 16-12. I could see the US 16-12. So 16-12 for me is where I'll go as well. Where do you want to go next? How do, how do you want to go? How do you want to how do you want to okay. dissect this a little? How like because obviously we could go well, through I, I every I player, but <laughs> who has the time? I don't think we should um, 
because I know we want to get to a little bit of football chat at the end as well, as is our want at this time of year. Um, I, I said to you I had a couple of questions because obviously it feels like a major, but the, the traditional questions we ask in our major previews don't apply to team golf. So I suppose where I might start is the person who you think comes into this week under the most pressure. Mm-hmm. Who, who do you think that is? Do you want one from each side or do you just want me to give you the person? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I've probably got two people in my mind. Okay. Uh, so, and, and and they are split across both sides. So, you, yeah, let's okay. go one, one on each team. Well, I think for me, it's in the US side, it's, it's JT. I think that's probably largely universal at the minute. I mean, he was the most controversial pick on that team. Um, and I think he does have something to prove as to why he's been picked. His form's been awful coming in. Um, I think to your point, he's been selected based off his, you know, experience. It's definitely not off his current form. So I'll give you, I'll give you JT from that side. I do think there is, there is an element of pressure on, well, there's always going to be pressure on guys like Rory McIlroy, right? Like there's always going to be question marks about Rory. So I I do think that's an easy answer. I think there's also pressure on someone like a Ludwig Aberg, for example. You know, he he's coming in. He's not played in a major before. He's the, you know, he only turned pro a couple of months ago. I think my answer here is John Rahm. I, I, I think he's truly the barometer of this team. Um, he has to have a winning record and he has to go. He, he's going to play pretty much every session, if not every session. So he needs to have a really good weekend or three days to to help lift this European side over the line. Not only does he have to play well, but he's got to pair up and play well. He's, so they're probably going to pair him, you know, with one of these younger guys that are that, that are less experienced in a Ryder Cup, Straka, Horgard, Aberg, whatever. So yeah, I, I think I'll give you that. I'll give you JT and John Rahm as my my two players under the under the uh, under the gun at the minute. We Who mentioned. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment, but I just I just mentioned we mentioned the pairings um, and the fact that we've got our first practice rounds literally underway as we're recording here on Tuesday night. I think it's worth mentioning just off the back of your point around John Rahm mm-hmm. uh, and also about the point that we said around Luke Donald needing to be really strategic about who he matches his his blue chippers with. So yeah. if we look at the US, who they're sending out their four balls in practice rounds this morning. Uh, so the first group of four is Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Justin Thomas. I don't think there's any surprises there. No. Uh, the second group of four is Colin Morikawa, Brian Harmon, Ricky Fowler, and Max Homer. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably slightly surprised there. Only because, and and it will be contextualized when I say the last four. I really thought that Harmon would probably end up with someone like Scheffler, but I understand the versatility that Scheffler is. There is no one you could put Scheffler, which would be a bad pairing. He is truly the he is the absolute ultimate match play partner, Scotty yeah. Scheffler. Yeah. So, um, uh, so maybe Brian Harmon goes to. Morikawa there because I can see probably or maybe even Fowler. My concern with the Harmon Fowler pairing for the US is length off the tee. 
Well, um, yeah. Could I, I was just going to jump in there. Sorry, that's a really good point. Um, I actually think Harmon Morikawa is a really good pairing because you yeah. lose distance off the tee with uh, punter Harmon, and I think you, what you lose with that, you make up with iron accuracy from from Colin Morikawa. I think that's a really good pairing. Which I think I think makes complete sense on paper. I would not at all be surprised to see Zach Johnson put Morikawa with Homer because they are literally best mates from from Cal. Mm-hmm. So yep. uh, Zach Johnson's really deferred back to the Paul Azinger model of, of just get the guys who are comfortable playing with each other back together. So mm-hmm. let's see how that plays out. And in the final four for the US, uh, Scheffler, Kepka, Clark, and Burns. So we've seen Scheffler, Burns together before in team competitions. Uh, and it wouldn't at all surprise me if Kepka and Wyndham Clark play together. So... Look, I don't think there's too many surprises there from the US. The European groups this morning, uh, interesting. Again, not too many surprises, but I think they they probably send a few more telegraphs than yeah. than the Americans do. So uh, the first group of four for the Europeans this morning out in practice, Fleetwood, Straker, Lowry, and McElroy, uh, which is interesting. Is Fleetwood, yeah. Straker. Yeah. Lowry and McElroy. Mm. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I tend to think that it's probably, if I had to hazard a guess, I think the first group of four that go out for foursomes on Friday night, our time, will mm. be Thomas Spieth up against Fleetwood McElroy. I think that's going to be the first match we see. That's, I'm just going to take a guess there because yep. I think uh, Larry McElroy I'd love to see, but I think it's probably going to be more Larry Straker because you'll get Straker's length off the tee. And I also think so. with with Straker as well, pairing him with someone like Rory, this is obviously a debut for Straker, right? Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup debut, right? So Correct. you pair him with Rory, you know, you're naturally, you've got huge crowds there anyway. You've got the emotion. You go and play, pair a, a dude who's a rookie, with Rory, who's going to attract, you know, two x the crowd. So I, I, I don't mind that. I don't, I don't mind that. Um, that striker. Lowry. I also think with Fleetwood. Um, don't get me wrong. There'll be there'll be no person who gets a louder cheer on the first tee for the European team than than Rory McIlroy. Yeah, but there's the ability to 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 play alongside Rory and Tommy, given his form this year, but also uh, off the back of 2019, he has lifetime. Colts mm-hmm. status as a European Ryder Cup player. Mm-hmm. So he he will garner just as much admiration on that first tee, which mm-hmm. I think is, is a great pairing just from an atmosphere perspective to send off the Europeans and set a bit of momentum. Mm-hmm. So the second four going out in practice uh, tonight, Australian time, uh, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, Ludwig Aberg. Mm-hmm. So again, for me, that's, I would think... Although I don't know, because I, I would think maybe Ram goes with Aberg, but yeah. Ram and Hatton probably makes a little bit of sense too, and and and, and Hovland and Aberg. I, I don't know that that's that's a really interesting four for me, really interesting four. And obviously these aren't the, the official pairings. So no, 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 could no, be no, all no. thrown out of the wind. But I, I think Ram and Hatton are the two most passionate, uh, politely, <laughs> emotional people that are that they've mm. got in the, on that list. So. Um, I think if you, I would 
potentially lean towards Rahm and Hatton going together and, and leaving Hovland to go with Ludwig Aberg, just purely from a, you know, if someone like a Tyrrell Hatton who is so emotional about his golf game at times, is that going to be too much for, for Ludwig? I think Victor Hovland's cool and, and calm nature is probably going to be a good thing from uh, for, for Ludwig Aberg. And they're both from that part of the world. So up Tend to north. agree. So whatever Tend they call that agree. part of the world. Nordic, Nordic, Nordic. Countries, that's it. Yeah, I believe is, is yes, the phrase. that's the one. Yes, that's what I was looking for. And then the final four for the Europeans out in practice rounds, uh, Tuesday practice rounds: Matt Fitzpatrick, Justin Rose, Robert McIntyre, Nikolai Hoygaard. Mm-hmm. This one is the least clear to me, if I'm honest. And and as we say, this is not necessarily a projection, but I would be. It's rare that this late in the game, Luke Donald will be playing ducks and drakes with his practice rounds that he's throwing out there. So you would think, um, to use an old Paul Azinger term, these would be the pods mm-hmm. that they're operating in. There's probably not going to be a lot of crossover between the pods. Uh, so so finding your natural partnerships there, I, I think uh, there's few players coming in, and I, I love the man. So it, it is not a um, it is not said easily. But there are a few players coming into this competition with less form than Robert McIntyre, so yep. uh, like that—that's a critical pairing. Um, unless you intend to sit him for most of the time ahead of singles, which I highly doubt you do with someone like Robert McIntyre, because mm-hmm. I think paired correctly, I think he needs to play early to get himself into the competition. But he needs to be paired correctly, and, and this is um, this is enormous for Nikolai Hoygaard. Mm. Uh, I, I would think Nikolai Hoygaard. I could be wrong. He's not playing on. Uh, the first session. He's not playing Friday morning European mm. time. He may get out in the afternoon, but it also wouldn't be surprised to see him sit until Saturday. So, uh, look, I would think it's probably Fitzpatrick, Hoygaard, Rose, and McIntyre there mm-hmm. is where I would think Donald goes. But that's of of the three groups of four, that's the least clear to me, as I said. I could also see a world in which Fitzpatrick and Rose are paired up as the two Poms yep, together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Bobby and Nicolo sit until there's an obvious place to put them in. I so. think so. Yeah. No, that's Wonderful. good. That was fun. We should have we should, if we had a plan things better, we could have, you know, put forward our actual projections and how we would have rolled the team out. But you know Well, I think it's so this is what happens. I'm, I'm fairly confident as I that Ram is in the other group that goes on Friday morning. So whether that's with, maybe that's with Victor Hovland or maybe it's with Tyrrell Hatton. But I, I think you, you, if you got aces in your sleeve, you, you, you lead with your strongest cards. So yeah. I, I think McElroy and Rahm are going off in the Friday morning session, not together. So they'll find their natural partners. And for the US, I think um, it's probably less clear because again, Zach Johnson will want, I, I think he's desperate to get Justin Thomas onto the course mm. because the pressure will only build further the longer that he sits and needs to get out. He's only going to go out with one person and that's his mate and my mate and everyone's mate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then what he does with that second pairing, um, get the sense he probably looks to get Scheffler into the game early. Mm. Um, but it's also hard to argue with putting Cantlay and Shoffley out together because they're exceptional. In yeah. um in, in team golf. So yeah. but fr- Friday morning will be 
uh, Friday evening, of course, Australian time will be fascinating because it, it sets the tone. It doesn't decide everything. As we said, the US women are up for four zip after that session in the Solheim Cup and it obviously ends up being a draw, but it sets such a tone for the remainder of the weekend. So Great. we will wait to see, obviously, further practice groupings as they come. But uh, as we say, that's a, that's a really good projection when you see that first slot about give you an idea of how things are shaping up. Yeah. Um, that's a really long way to come back to who I think is under the most pressure. Um, <laughs> so I think from the US side, I, I was probably with you in saying Justin Thomas until probably a week ago. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's – I actually think he has the ability to be quite liberated by this because, as we said at the beginning of this episode, match player is, is – there is nothing else like it. We can't point to anything – across the last 12 months, particularly the last six where he's really fallen off a cliff to say, well, mm. that's exactly the same as environment as what he's about to walk into in Rome. Yeah. You, you can only point back to how he's been, and I get the sense that it was a big, big influence on the decision to bring him. But I, I kind of feel like he walks in here and says, well, if I don't play well, I've played exactly how everyone expected me to. And yeah, I'll be disappointed. And yeah, I'll probably feel like I haven't contributed and, and possibly let the team down. But all I can do is play better than what I've been doing. That's, yeah. that's I can really only go one way. I can play how I've been playing, or I can play my nuts off. I probably can't play much worse. Yeah. So I think there's an element of it being liberating for Justin Thomas. For mine, honorable mention to Zach Johnson because I think there's a lot of decisions that Zach Johnson has made that have the potential mm-hmm. to pay ultimate dividends or bite him in the ass. And I mm-hmm. think it will be binary. I don't think it'll be in the middle. Mm-hmm. So honorable mention to Zach Johnson. I actually think it's Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. So, been thinking about this a bit. Uh, the guy has proven time and time and time again that when it matters to him, when he cares, there are few, if any, who can run with him in the game. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how much this matters comparatively to majors because it's never really been clear. He's yeah. never really been the chess beater or the fist pumper or the roarer. Mm. after dropping a putt. So it's hard to get a gauge on what the Ryder Cup means comparatively to turning up at Augusta or turning up for a PGA Championship, turning up for a US Open. Um, he's coming off the back of just having a child, which we've seen that go one of two ways for golfers in the past. And he's the guy that everyone said, he's, he's got to be on. Yeah. He's got to be on, right? And that's because of what we saw in the first two majors of the year. And we've seen very little to ride home about since. Mm. So I do feel as though it's a bit of a lightning rod as well because there's been some whispers in the last probably two weeks, courtesy of him winning two of the last three live events, that, oh, maybe Bryson should have been considered. So Mm. he is the sole criteria and and sole, I I suppose, barometer for live in in this whole competition. I just feel like there is a fair bit of pressure on Brooks to produce. I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. And he is flying the flag for live, right? You know, so this is he's mm. the one. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, he's yeah. I I do genuinely think he cares. Oh, I'd like to think that he <laughs> that he cares. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But uh yeah, I think that's a good one. I, I do I do like Brooks. I mean, there's a few others in that team that you could make a case for. I mean, Scotty Scheffler is, you know, he's he's been so good, his putting's been awful, you know, but 
Yeah, so maybe there's a bit of pressure on Scotty. I don't know. There's this pressure on Brian Harmon, who's probably got in off the back of one good performance. You know, there's pressure on everyone, I think. But is there anyone from the European side that jumps out at you that's got the fire kind of breathing down them at the minute? I liked what you said about John Rahm because I agree. I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on him because I don't envisage a world in which he has a losing record and the Europeans win. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I I do think it's Rory McIlroy because Rory definitely can't play the way he did two years ago in Europe wins. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that much is is clear. Yeah, uh, I think the Europeans probably had a more balanced team, and and probably even on on paper a slightly better team two years ago, and it was he did not turn up until he beat Xander in Sunday singles. Yeah, and obviously we we tracked that back as probably the the turnaround point and and to what we've seen in the last two years, that Sunday at Whistling Straits, that was it. You know, that yeah. was the yeah. fork in the road. Mm. But the two days prior, he was woeful. Yeah. And there's no way known that he can be that bad again across the course of three days cumulatively and the Europeans win. So I, I think that he is the leader of this team uh, and, and without him performing to the level that, the fans expected, and not least of which he expected himself. I, I can't see Europe winning, so yeah, I, I think it's Rory. I think I, I think you're spot on with with Rory, and and I think John Rahm as well. You know, to your point before fifteen thirteen, you said to Europe, right? So yeah, yeah. If that's and I said sixteen twelve the same way. If Rory and Rahm don't fire, there's a very real possibility that we could be looking at nineteen nine. Yeah. 18, 18, 10 sort of sort of territory again. I think that's it's, I think that's totally fair. It's honestly my biggest concern for Europe Druids is that I look at the Americans and I can envisage a world in which Scotty Scheffler doesn't in fact have a great three days. Mm. But there are others who will step into the breach. Yeah. That Colin Morikawa doesn't have a great couple of days. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are players there who I think you know, if, if player A doesn't play well, then player B definitely will. Yeah. I just don't. I think that that list is much shorter on the European side because it probably only falls a couple down where totally. I'm confident that that player steps in because the rest is just a bit unknown based on form or experience at this level. Totally. I think there's, I think there are questions there in terms of the, I think there are a couple of questions in the US side in terms of depth in Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, and, and JT are three that really jump out at me, but that leaves nine other players, right? Yeah. Collectively on the European side, I've got questions. Bobby Mack, Seth Straker, Horgard, Shane Lowry to an extent, uh, Ludwig yeah. Aberg. You know, so all of a sudden we're down to seven and those two points are what we're talking about yeah. here in terms of in terms of the gap. So I think that's totally fair. What where do you want to go next? What else have you got in your bag? Well, my only other question I had for you is who do you think we'll be talking about come because obviously we'll we'll appear back in your ears next kind of Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, mm-hmm. Uh, looking mm-hmm. looking back at the weekend, hopefully speaking about a European victory. But who do you think will be the player we're talking about in the review that surprises us? In in a good way. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to to talk about negatives. The surprises in 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 a way that we possibly didn't expect on either side. I don't know if you need one from either because I've got one clear one in mind. Yeah, but just the player that you think on reflection will go shit. I like he really 
turned up when I wasn't sure that he would? I, I think I'm going to say, I'll say Ricky Fowler here for, for, for a reason, right? It's a really good one. I think Ricky has been he's he and Jordan speak to a little little element, but obviously their stories are largely similar. But Ricky's been so far in the wilderness and then has come back and gone so hard so fast to get himself back into this side. Nearly won a major this year, has played outstanding golf. I just think talking to take picking up your point about Brooks Kepka before about what does this mean to him. I think this means everything to Ricky being a part of this team, right? Like we talk about Patrick Reed as Captain America. I reckon there's, I reckon Ricky's filling that void this year, right? He he loves these sort of events, these team events. So I genuinely think that that he's going to be someone that will surprise us. Whether the moment does get too big for him or not, I don't know. But I think everything points to a really good showing from Ricky Fowler, and I think Zach Johnson is going to use him. Well, I don't think he's going to play every session, but I think he's going to use it well. I think he's a really versatile guy that they can pair him with multiple people. So I'll give you a Ricky Fowler there because I think he's just worked so hard to get back into this environment. And um, I think this means something to him. I think it's a great pick. Uh, I'd be shocked if Ricky Fowler plays any less than three matches. I really would. Like, I, mm. I, I don't think he's including going to be singles. Guy- Including singles, yeah. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think he's, I don't, he's definitely not playing five, but I think it's, it's three or four because mm-hmm. I, 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 I absolutely think he'll go out Friday. I don't think it'll be Friday morning. I think it'll be Friday afternoon in the four mm. ball. And then I think he plays definitely one on Saturday, potentially how he goes on Friday with a term whether he plays two. So, I, he's not making up the numbers. He's there, and and he wasn't on the bubble. Like he was, mm. he was one hundred OP. Always going to be in this team based on how he's played. Yeah. To your point of what it means, I think if there'd been a little bit of doubt, all the stories we're hearing about Justin Thomas and waiting by the phone and texting Zach Johnson, that would have been Ricky Fowler because that's mm. what it means to him. That's what it means to him. Mm. And I think the final point that you made is really important about the void that he fills in the team. Were they to go on and win, I think inevitably as the stories do start to filter out, you know, in in the post-analysis as interviews are done on kind of the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday, I have no doubt are they to win, there'll be a myriad of stories of how Mm. important he was behind the scenes. Nothing to do with how he plays, but how important he was in terms of being the glue in that team because I I am – convinced that is the role that he's playing in that team this yeah. week. Yeah. No, that's totally fair. Who who are you saying is the, the talking point post? So I think it'll be Ludwig Aberg. Mm-hmm. I think I heard Trevor Immelman um obviously uh major winner, uh previous international team captain. He's now one of the lead analysts on NBC. Uh a tremendous golf brain. And I yeah. heard him do an interview earlier in the week where he described Ludwig Aberg as possibly already the best driver of the golf ball in the game. It's a big call, Trev. (laughs) It's massive. It's massive. It's an enormous call. Settle down, Trevor. I I think he's obviously 
you know, we've drawn previously the comparison to Ray Zhang, incredible college career, mm. uh, the, the first graduate of the PGA to a U program. He's won already, you know, in his first handful of starts. I think it was his sixth start. And to your point earlier, there's very little that seems to phase him. No moment's got big on him yet. Now, he's never played in a moment like this. Uh, I think it's really smart that they've debuted him at home because mm-hmm. I get the sense that that crowd will will pick him up and carry him. Um, totally. Both in good times and in bad. I just get the sense that, uh, again, I don't anticipate seeing him on Friday. Maybe. Maybe he sneaks out in the afternoon. I reckon they get him out early. You get reckon? the nerves okay. out. Just because, like, I, I yeah, think with some of these guys, it's like, you know, hey, this is it. This is the Ryder Cup. And then it's like, actually, no, you got to wait another day and it'll be like, Shit, okay, got to sleep on it another night. Do you know what I mean? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, look, you're, you're probably right. Uh, if he goes out, I think if he goes out Friday, then I think it is that Hovland pairing. Yeah. Because I, I can foresee a world in which that's a pairing that goes out in afternoon four ball and then maybe Ram is with Hatton in the morning in the foursomes. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I just think he's got he's got the temperament, He's undoubtedly got the skill. He's got the length that will be super, super handy uh, for a number of partners on this team. And I just get the sense that if the Europeans are to win, he will be a player that doesn't make an insignificant contribution to that. Yep. It might not might it might not be like I don't think he's playing four games. And it's it might not be a three and O, but I just reckon when I say significant contribution, maybe less to do with cumulative score, but more moments. I reckon he, you're going to find that there's two or three moments across the weekend where he rips a drive or puts an approach to three foot or gets up and down close. I think there's something a bit magnetic about him that draws him to big moments. And I, mm. I anticipate if there is a European victory that he will have made a, a not insignificant contribution to that. That's very fair. That's very fair. Who else have you got? Anything else that uh, you want to... No, I, I just I'm I'm really looking forward mainly to it being back on European soil. It it just it's different. It's so different. Like La Golf Nacional was unbelievable, mm-hmm. and, and obviously there were so many things, uh, not least of which the uh, the Mollywood pairing, which kind of stole everyone's mm. hearts across that. And I cannot wait for the Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Yes, you know, the the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's you know, to my understanding. It's the largest ever grandstand that's been built around a first tee at a Ryder Cup. Awesome. So I think it's well over 10,000 people around the first tee. So just imagine that, like, when he walks out there with Rory McIlroy likely on the first morning and the Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Like, it's just, it it's it hits different. And I yeah. just, I'm so excited about that. They'll need it. Um, and as I, I keep harping back on it, but eight of the 12 Americans have never played a Ryder Cup on European soil. So that crowd will be critical, I yeah. think, in, in, in Europe's aspirations to be lifting this trophy on Sunday. But they're just better. Like it, it take nothing away. There's been some incredible um European sorry, European victories. I was probably a little bit Nostradamus there, but there's been some incredible Ryder Cups on American soil, mm. not least of which the European victory that that Madonna. But uh, there's something special. Um, you know, I stumbled across the video 
today of uh, uh, was it Jose Maria Olafarbo giving his victory speech as captain, and it's that you know um, they say some men die, not all men live. You know, giving his famous <laughs> speech, it's, it just so it, good. It means something a little bit more, yeah. and the U the US could come in and piss all over that. There's no doubt in my mind that that, mm. that is an extreme possibility. Mm. But there's something about, um, yeah, there's just something about a European team on European soil producing something special. And if that's mm. to be the case, which I think it will be, it'll be something to behold. Yeah, I think that's very well put. I think that's a great way to. I think that's a great way to sum it up. To be honest, Marshy, mm. I think you know, fifteen thirteen is where you said it would land to Europe. I'm saying sixteen twelve. I mean, there's a whole myriad of scores that could, could come out of this. But um, like I said nearly an hour ago, this is probably one of the most talked about Ryder Cups that I can remember for a variety of reasons in terms of the lib and all that sort of shit. But um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to ultimately that first tee ball just being hit and kind of none of that matters and. And we can just push on and, and start seeing some golf. Um, not sure what the time slot looks like. It probably won't be too bad for me over here. Maybe a little bit worse off for you, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think first first sessions uh, Friday Saturday be great for me. You'll get mm. a bit more of uh, the second session depending on how a little sleep I intend to have. Mm. And then you know we've got a public holiday here on Monday, so I do use. Yes, well, the, it's nice. actually the now the King's birthday, which oh, got yes. shifted because we put it after the NRL Grand Final over here on yeah. the East Coast. So oh. on the Monday after the NRL Grand Final, so uh, Sunday singles, I'll be I'll probably be all the way through. Still have to go Beautiful. to work on Monday. So Beautiful. well, we had ours last um, week. <laughs> we had ours. Yes, we had ours yesterday. Yeah, poorly poorly timed in relation to the Ryder Cup. But look, mm. uh, yeah, friendly viewing time, particularly first sessions. For those in the east coast and those in the west, you should get most of it um, on 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 all three nights. So, mm. best thing in golf, we'll certainly be back on Monday evening to review it all um, briefly before we go. It is grand final week. Yes, uh, in, for both codes. Yeah, well, it's it's one of these special. It doesn't happen every year. Now, one of these special weekends where you've got Saturday AFL into Sunday NRL. I don't love um, it. Eh? I'm I'm gonna be go against the grain. I think I prefer dragging it out over two weeks. Yeah, I, I think I, don't know. I think there's a case for both. Um, yeah. I I think living in a city that currently has two teams qualified mm. through to each of the grand finals is unique, and and I think in that sense, I'd almost tend to agree because I feel like both are entitled to and deserve their own spotlight, and mm. it's 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 difficult. At they're the fighting. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I I think they're actually probably. And you and I have both lived in this space. They're probably actually doing quite a good job at collaborating and, yeah, and sharing. Okay. And and to their credit, um, the Courier Mail, those in Queensland would know that to be the uh, the leading daily newspaper here in Queensland are doing a good job. Like uh, Mondays was um, front page Broncos, obviously because it's a rugby league state, but back page yep. lines, and they kind yep. of worked worked in the first three or four pages from the front and back were all nice. lines or all Broncos. So they've done it. I think they've done it well, but it's going to come down to um, the proof of being the pudding on Saturday and Sunday, the coverage and, and how those things are covered. Because obviously, you know, Saturday is the grand final that Lions will be playing in, but there'll be a Saturday captain's run for the Broncos down mm. at you know, a core stadium in Sydney and there'll be team mm. news. And there'll be proof of being the pudding on the weekend. But look, I, um, I probably do tend to agree in the sense that 
as a person who just loves grand final weeks, mm. you, you'd love to see that stretch out over two weeks. Yeah. Um, the, start with probably, the NRL, Marshy. Start with the NRL. Talk to me here, because yeah. I, I guess look, you're you're obviously a passionate Broncos man, and and you you probably converted me some. I don't know, well, seven or eight years yeah. when seven or eight years ago when uh when when we were working together and I was fortunate to spend some time over there as well and uh had some had some great times at the Caxton Hotel as well. So that's obviously <laughs> helped that's obviously helped the uh the 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 love for the Bronx. But I, I mean yeah. it seems like it's one way traffic at the moment for for the for the Penrith Panthers, the Panthers, they seem like they're very hard to stop. Do the Bronx have a chance, Marshy? Because they've they've come back after what was a couple of lean years as well. They got dragged through the mud a little bit, and now Absolutely. they're they're back with a glow. So do they do they have a red hot chance, or is it a mere formality for the for the Panthers? No, I think they're getting the Panthers at the right time. Um, to three peat in any code is incredibly challenging mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and it's it's saved for the rarest of teams i mean obviously the the brisbane lions back in Hawthorne. the early 2000s your hawks um as well so and you don't often see it in rugby league the, the drop-off is stark there aren't premiership windows in league as there are in afl although that's increasingly less um less frequent anyway these days in, in australian rules but i think they're getting penned at the right time in the sense that there'll be no harder premiership for Penrith to win than this grand final. Just on where they are and the trajectory, I think the opposition that they face. The Broncos are in are in great form. And, and to your point, it has been lean. Like this is the first Broncos grand final that they've contested since 2015. Mm. They haven't won a premiership since 2006. Mm. So, um, you know, people say, oh, you know, we've probably got some St Kilda supporters listening to this podcast saying, <laughs> fucking woe, woe is me since 2006. But... Um, you know, it was six premierships from 1980 through 2006, and we haven't seen one since in Brisbane. Mm. So mm. this is undoubtedly, uh, and it's not taking any away from the lines, but this is a rugby league city, and there's something mm. a little bit special about, you know, like um, thousands and thousands of people down at Red Hill for training mm. uh, yes, yesterday for the open training session for the Bronx. And I think they've got, what they've got is key positional players in red hot form. There's no better fullback in the game at the moment than Reese Walsh. His, mm-hmm. his performance in the preliminary final against the Warriors was outstanding. Um, Adam Reynolds has been a cool head amongst a young group. Um, he's been exceptional leading the team, but also at halfback. He's playing inside a 20 year old and Ezra Mom, who's, you know, playing out of his skin. Uh, and they're just running behind a big forward pack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Led by Paddy Carrigan. <laughs> Payne Ask Tommy Flegler, like Jordan Rico, like they're in good form, mate. Like I, I think, I think it's going to be difficult to go down to Sydney and get it done. It's like it's in the AFL. The grand finals played in Sydney. It wouldn't matter if it was, you know, Bronx yeah. Cowboys, the Bronx Titans, the Bronx Dolphins. We played in Sydney, so yeah. tough to go down there in front of all the the Penrith Panthers fans. But I think the Broncos are coming in a good form of a great win against um, the Warriors. Panthers are a bit banged up. A couple of players, um, you know, important players for them coming in sore, uh, which is not unusual this time of year, but it won't be. I can tell you right now, the Broncos won't be winning 42-12 as they did in the semifinal. It'll be a it'll be a physical game. Tone will be set in the first 15, 20 minutes. And if Brisbane can weather the physicality mm. and mm. weather the, I suppose, the defensive press in that first kind of 20, 25 minutes and get out, you know, 
ahead or at least, you know, only a score behind, then I think that they'll probably run out the game better than Penrith. So, yeah, fascinating game. But I, I do hope a lot of long-suffering Broncos fans who went through some lean years up here, as you say. So mm. for the sake of the city, it would light the city up. Caxton yeah. will be absolutely <laughs> feral on Sunday evening if uh, if Brisbane win. I tell you what, I've got uh, I've got a good friend's wedding on on Saturday, grand final day um, over here. Interesting, yeah. Well, uh, a Kiwi and a Scot getting married, so that's what that's what happens. Um, yeah, I thought they'll say that's all right. We wrapped up. We'll get we'll get the All Blacks on four thirty tomorrow morning for the Rugby World <laughs> Cup. Don't worry about. Well, uh, I, I think there's there's uh, you know that's obviously you know wouldn't rather be anywhere else. But I tell you what, the, given that I don't really give a shit about you know Collingwood or Brisbane, all in all. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you what, there's almost no other place I'd rather be than the Caxton Street Hotel on Sunday after, yeah. I reckon. So I reckon that would be a lot of fun. I the, pre- the, precinct, the precinct will be absolutely heaving. Um, well, it's, it's, a, it's a nighttime grand final in the NRL, so by the time kickoff rolls around, uh, you know, 7.30-ish, it'll yeah. be You'll be on. heaving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. AFL. What about what about what's your? I've probably got more of an input here than I just did on well, the yeah, NRL. Why don't, why don't why don't you lead us off? Because I've waxed lyrical on the NRL grand final. Uh, we, th- we can both talk to this, but I'm, I'm I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Well, I think first, firstly, I reckon out of you is I'd like to get your take on Melbourne um, as well mm. because they're unbelievably disappointing in in their uh, in their two. Uh, finals and out in straight sets for the second straight year. They they arguably probably should have beaten Carlton all in all. Um, they just couldn't kick the ball through the fucking big posts. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I, I think once Collingwood, I know a lot of people were cheering for the Giants on Friday night. I was kind of low-key going for Collingwood. You would have been wow. on the Giants. Oh, I, massively. Yeah. I just, for, for, for the reason that Collingwood have been the best team all year, they deserve to be in the grand final. What they bring is enormous. And then, regardless of who won out of Carlton and Brisbane, it's it was a win. It was a win for footy fans, right? Because Collingwood and Carlton, the oldest rivalry in the game, unbelievable. Would have been amazing. They would have been they would have been hanging off the the, the light poles at the MCG. And Collingwood and Brisbane, which is what we've got, are you know you got the best team in arguably the second best team or, you know, in the top three best teams all year. So I think it's I think it's a, a great, great grand final. It's hard to see Collingwood getting beaten in Melbourne. If this game was played at the Gabba, pen, pen me in for pen me in for a Lions win. I, yeah. I I think there's pros and cons against both. Collingwood, you know, some could argue they played their grand final last week. Very physical match against against the Giants. Lions got away with a little bit easier after Carlton pumped the brakes from quarter time onwards. Um but yeah I I think it's I think it's it's what footy fans, neutral footy fans probably deserve mm. out of this this year. I think it's I think it's the two most exciting teams who have hit hit their straps and been consistent all year. And I, I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a belting game. But overall I think Collingwood are just going to be that stronger team in Melbourne probably win by three or four goals all in all as much as I would love to see Brisbane win because I do you know I got a bit of a soft spot for Brisbane I think they're uh, you know they, they were they were the team when I was you know in my you know when I was eight or nine years old and they were going on their run of winning Formative three, years. Three, you know they, yes. that you know watching Michael Voss and Simon Black and 
you know, Sean Hart and Daniel Bradshaw and Alistair Lynch and all of these guys running around it, you know, they were a phenomenal football team. Um, so I think I think everyone's got a bit of a soft spot for for Brisbane, and I think uh, they're going to have a lot of fans on Saturday. I would I would dare say so. Not least of which the the Fitzroy crew. Who, well, totally, you know, yeah, is a special day for them. Look, I tend to agree. Um, I, let me attack this chronologically. I I was uh, shattered to see a, a second consecutive straight sets exit for. The Demons, um, yeah. I, I think all things being equal, they should have beaten Collingwood the week before. They shouldn't be playing Carlton, to be honest. Mm. Uh, and they should have put themselves through to a, a game against GWS um, at the MCG and probably been playing this weekend. But, um, you know, chickens came home to roost. Kicking and forward line inefficiency has been an issue all year. Mm. Um, and it's something that hasn't been addressed. It was probably addressed briefly with, uh, Harrison Petty going on a great run and probably turning himself into a forward and then getting injured. Uh, and then, you know, we we throw in Tom McDonald, who I love T Mac, but he was past it after he won a grand final two years ago. So mm-hmm. Melbourne have got a lot of work to do to address stuff in the forward 50 over the offseason and cannot mm-hmm. waste another year because yeah. Gorn's a year older, May's over 30. Um, they've got a lot of good young talent, but they also got some aging guys who are critical to the team. So that's Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I, my concern for Collingwood is there is no way known they win this grand final on the weekend kicking 60 points, which is mm. what they've done in their two two finals to get through. No mm. way known. Like, you just will not beat Brisbane kicking 60 points. Um, I don't think Brisbane are going to run up a score on them because, you know, Darcy Moore is is, yeah. is far too good and he's so well supported by like Quainor is a freak. Yeah. He's so good. Um and well supported down the back there as well. But they're gonna have to kick some scores. And mm. it's made more difficult with McStay going out mm-hmm. and what they do in that space, because I don't think they can replace him. Like there's they cannot put Ginnivan in because they need a tall. The tall yeah. like that second tall is critical for my check. To, to play the role he plays. And they've already got, like, they've got Hill, they've got McCreary, they've got Elliott. I think that's a, a real strength for them because I think they've got leg speed in the forward 50 that's going to worry Brisbane. Yep. Brisbane are great when it's balls coming in for a Harris Andrews and, you know, Kitty Collin was exceptional for the halfback flank, but that's because the team had momentum when they arrested it back from Carlton. So yep. he did have the freedom to walk off players and, and run the ball off halfback. So I think that, that leg speed... The runners that Collingwood have in the Ford 50 will worry Brisbane a bit. I just don't know if they can, like, you can only go on what they've seen the last two weeks of finals. And it's been games built on, we're just going to lock you down and you're not scoring more than 60 points. I don't think they'll have that freedom against Brisbane. Mm. Realistically, if Brisbane, like, the biggest question that Chris Fagan has to answer is who goes to Dugowie. Because if Dugowie's let off the leash like he has been the last two weeks, particularly last week, Mm. Like GWS had no answers for him. He was yeah. in, he was immaculate last week. So mm-hmm. whether it's Dunkley or who did a great job on Crips last week, whether it's McCluggage who's gone to uh, to Goey before, uh, but you just got to lock up to Goey because if they don't lock up to Goey, I, I think it's it's funny, right? In and I I, I won't overstate this too much because I know he's come back from injury, but Daycost has been relatively quiet. Mm. He'll get better with games, but I it, it's as tail as old as time. In the big games, 
your very best players step up. And that's not to say Nick Dacos isn't in the top three players at Collingwood, but he is a second-year player still cutting his teeth. Mm. And Dugowie is an out-and-out bull for them. Yep. And when it's when it's mattered in the two games they've needed someone, it hasn't been Dacos off the halfback flank. It's been Dugowie in the middle. Yeah, uh, And totally. so if Brisbane don't have an answer for that, then I it probably won't matter because Collingwood will run up a score. Because yep. if, if is allowed to run rampant in the middle and deliver it in at will, he'll find a way. Because you'll yep. find Bobby Hill in space, you'll find McCreary in space, you'll find Elliot in space. And if you don't, my check will throw his hands up and maybe whether it's Frampton who gets a gig or Mason mm. Cox runs forward and potentially pops yeah. a contested mark. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be a great game. If Collingwood find a way to score, you know, 80, 90 points, then I think they're almost home. But that's my only concern is is their ability. Not my concern. I actually couldn't give two shits if they win. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that's if you're a Collingwood fan, that's a concern because Brisbane are white hot at the yeah. moment with the ball in hand. They are. They are. Well, looping mm. it all back to golf, it'll be uh Hayden <laughs> Hayden Barron will be uh be cheering on his pies as well, I'm sure. Yes. So he's I've seen him. He was he was over there recently. I think I saw a photo from there today. So hopefully for Baz they get up. Uh, but it'll mm. be interesting to to watch uh come grand final day, which will be nice. I'm excited about it. And the that. beauty about it is Saturday you can roll, I mean, not you personally because you've been a wedding, but you can roll straight from the grand final pretty much into Ryder Cup coverage. Yes, you um, can. And then for those who are NRL fans, it's probably the dual screen that yep. you'll have operating on Sunday evening. Totally right. So I'm sure we'll reserve a few minutes on Friday, on Monday evening to talk about the grand finals, but most of it will be our uh, our look back at the Ryder Cup. And of course, as you said at the very beginning of the episode, Drudes, uh, the Australian season gets underway. Yes. Uh, I was going to say we're over in your neck of the woods as it relates to state borders, uh, mm. because obviously Kalgoorlie is far from your neck of the woods. Um, oh, we got June up first. Sorry, WI open first, so that's good for me. I'll be up there. Yeah. I'm going to try and get yeah. out there a couple of days and and check out the action. I was talking uh, to our good friend Ron Chopper today, and we were just discussing how it's not great for uh, <laughs> not great for for uh, patrons going out there and viewing. I was going to say, own, um, yeah, you you towed me up around that course. I did once upon a time, and my memories of it, other than being it, it's a it's a lovely track, but. Uh, I was certainly glad by the end of the 18 holes that we took the the cart because I wasn't walking that. And no. theref- therefore, I can't imagine it's uh, – I don't know where you're going to – you probably gonna, it's going to be one of those situations where you probably have to perch yourself in one spot and well, watch groups come through. I think you're going to have to pick a group and just follow. I don't think there's many places yeah. where you can really perch, perch up. I, and we didn't actually play the probably – oh, we played uh, – Oh no! Yeah, we probably played the hilliest nine, and then the other nine that we didn't play, the quarry nine. Uh, that's that's uh, hillier than than the one that we did play. So they're playing the uh, June quarry uh, eighteen, which is an excellent uh, combination of eighteen mm. holes. They are already getting the preparations in tip top shape. I tried to get out there on Thursday this week, um, and they said no. You cannot come on the golf course because no. we don't want people like you hacking it up. So I would suggest it's probably open for member play only. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, WA Open full preview coming next week, which will be exciting. And we're underway actually. then. Obviously, we've got um, a handful of tournaments in the West. Yeah. Uh, 
and then it's it begins in earnest. So looking Nuts. forward to as we said, we'll do we'll do a review of the Ryder Cup, and we'll also have a preview of the WA Open as the first major tournament of the Australian Summer in earnest uh, next week. So plenty of listening coming for you next week, Drews. Absolutely, I'm pumped for it. Ryder Cup, sixteen twelve Europe for me, fifteen thirteen for Marshy. I'm uh, yeah, looking forward, looking forward to a massive weekend of sport, KM. And I'm hoping to be opening next Monday night's review show with Tommy, 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 <laughs> Tommy, 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 Fleetwood, Fleetwood. <laughs> That's how we'll do it. All right, that's, that's all right. a wonderful weekend. Enjoy it, mate.